Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host. We start off with the basics, per usual. Thank you for any of your interactions with the product. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, share. Mostly the share. That, that really is what helps us. If you're listening at this point, I kind of assume you've given us a star rating if you're doing this on Apple. Or you've, you know, liked the individual videos, if you're, uh, videos, episodes, if you're on Spotify, or you know, whatever your podcast platform of choice is. They've all got different ways that you can interact with stuff, and it's, uh, I know it's kind of a pain, but if you could, please, it helps the show out a lot. Uh, all right, on the agenda, this is not a very deep show this week. We only have one uh, thing to, re- not one thing, we have one event to talk about. And then a couple of minor, more minor news points. So hopefully we won't be here forever. Alright, let's, uh, I don't have anything else to do as far as my notes for the beginning of the show, so let's jump in to the action. This week, Saturday, July 10th, we have UFC 264. This is going to be a big one. The UFC is, they're back in an arena, they're at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we've got the trilogy fight that no one really expected. I shouldn't say no one expected. This same time last year, this is not on anyone's radar, pretty much at all. But your main event will be the third fight between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. We have a former interim champion in Poirier, which is... I'll talk- I'm going to yell a little bit more about interim titles later. They don't mean much of anything. They mean... Less than the UFC title, which the UFC has done a very good job of telling you means nothing. Connor, former double cha- former you know two weight champion at featherweight and lightweight, uh, and these two fought in January. So later in January, six seven months later, we're getting this is the trilogy fight. They they first met at featherweight some years ago. How long ago was that exactly? Um, well, UFC 178, so 2014, September, so a little under seven years ago, uh, where McGregor won via uh, first round knockout. Uh, they had a rematch, what was it, U- uh, again, earlier this year, UFC 257, where uh, Poirier scored a second round knockout. Now we get the rematch, the, the trilogy, the final chapter, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. Uh, how do I think this... Um, Poirier chose this fight over a title fight, and I think his logic was, I can get the most money here, and then if after I win, there's no denying me the next shot at uh, the champion, in this case, Charles Oliveira. I think that's fairly sound logic. Um, I don't know if... Here's the thing about this. Standard UFC contracts do not give pay-per-view points to non-champions. Now, that doesn't mean it's... That doesn't guarantee that it's true of uh, Poirier's contract. He might. But it's kind of rare that you do. Connor does. I would be shocked if Connor didn't have pay-per-view points, even though he's not a champion. But I'm, I'm not sure if Poirier does or not, and... Again, I have no knowledge one way or the other about this. He might, and that might be a new thing for him. Or, But if he's not, then he's literally just shooting himself in the foot to try and get a more leveraged position, I guess. 
because championship status confers, again, standard title, standard UFC contract language that when you're a champion, you get pay-per-view points. Some non-champions get points if they're able to negotiate that independently. And on occasion, I can only think of this once, but I know uh, Demetrius Johnson for, uh, did not get pay-per-view points for, in exchange for a higher base rate of pay, which wound up being a fairly shrewd move on his part, given that his stuff didn't sell well and he was not positioned as even a, you know, a co-main event on a bigger title fight. Uh, to draw in that particular respect. So he probably made more money that way, given how things went for him. But uh, point being, I don't know about uh, Poirier at this point. I'm I'm going to assume that he does, because if he doesn't, then what he's saying doesn't make any sense about making more money. You would make the same money to fight Connor as you would to fight someone debuting. That's usually how this goes. There's no sliding scale. You get your contracted revenue, and that's it. But again, if he does have pay-per-view points, then it makes all the sense in the world. Connor is maybe still the biggest star in the sport. In fact, he probably is. I'd be hard-pressed to think of a bigger one. I'm not saying I couldn't. You could maybe argue Nate Diaz. Uh, but it, it's pretty much Connor. That's, that's not much of a... There's, there's not much controversy there. So, how do I think the fight will go? Here's the thing about trilogy fights, and this is mostly true of MMA. Not always, but your general trend. Whoever wins the second fight wins the third. Again, there are exceptions, but it's a general rule. And this becomes, and I'd have to, do, I'd really have to double check the math on this, so I, like uh, properly correlate the data. But I believe that becomes more true the closer the second and third fight uh, is to each other. I mean, if you think about most MMA trilogies, you know, uh, Chuck and Randy. Randy wins the first one, Chuck wins two and three. Chuck and Tito is different, but that's such a wild statistical outlier, given that Chuck wins their first two, and then 15 years later or whatever, they have their trilogy fight. I forget however long it was. Uh, just ridiculously long time later. So again, that's a, that's a big statistical outlier. Uh... uh Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos. Steve Miocic and Daniel Cormier. Uh, Uriah Faber and Dominic Cruz. Uh, in the case of Cruz and Faber, their, th their second and third fights were fairly far, not quite as far apart as their first and second, but they weren't close. They weren't all that close. But again, general trend. You win the second fight, if you get into a trilogy, you probably win the third. I think that's probably how I'm going to lean here. I picked Poirier in their second fight. I I don't see a lot of reason to pick against him here, with the usual caveat that I'm not going to be shocked if Connor wins. But Connor Connor's style doesn't the way Poirier fights now, and I, I've rewatched their second fight, and I was struck a little bit by a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> one. Uh, how often Connor landed? I mean, he slowed down. I mean, this only got into the second. He slowed down a fair bit, but he found a fair amount of uh, land. Like he, he landed. So this does, of course, kind of raise the obvious question. Connor, we know Connor has power. So why didn't he cause more damage to Poirier? There's a few reasons I think after rewatching this. 
One is Montpore has a great chin. I mean, I think that TKO lost to Connor might be the might be the only one on his resume. No, it's not the only one, but it's one of the few. Sorry. So Michael Johnson knocked him out. Connor stopped him. That's it. He lost a decision to Castillo. He got submitted. Decision. Then yeah, Connor. And he's and then submitted by Khabib, obviously. Dustin's got a heck of a chin, especially if you look at the people he's fought. I mean, let me just read off his last couple of fights, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm not just last couple, but I'm I'm gonna cherry pick here a little bit. You know, Bobby Green can thump. Poirier knocked him out. Jim Miller. Andrew Miller's not a big. Eddie Alvarez twice, and Eddie rocked him once, once or twice, but he never. In fact, that's what actually led to the no contest in their first fight. You know, Pettis has some pop on his stuff. Didn't really bother him. Justin Gagey. I mean, he engaged... That's the point Justin Gagey went through hell in that fight. You know, Max. Max never really hurt him. Now, Max isn't a one-hitter-quitter guy, but Max has pop. You know, Dan Hooker. Hooker puts people out. And then, you know, Connor in their rematch. So, he's got a good chin. And he doesn't really come forward the way Connor needs you to. Connor certainly has power, but that's exacerbated through exceptional timing and an ability to draw his opponent out when he's at his best. Uh, again, how exactly this how exactly this current version of Connor rates relative to the best one is I have no idea in all honesty, but he's that's when he's at his best. He's got power, but he's really good about Draw, about you know, poking you, right? That's the other thing that struck me in their rematch, or again, in the most recent fight. Everybody knows Connor has power in his punches, but he doesn't really set it up with his... His punches don't set up other punches. That's not really where he finds success in his setups. He finds success in his setups with his kicks. Be those either leg kicks or which... In the old Jack Slack line about this, you don't need to have good technique on your leg kicks. It helps, but you're slamming your shin into somebody's thigh or calf. It doesn't have to look pretty to have the desired effect. Or uh, the other kick he uses a lot is that stabbing front kick to the body. Now, that might be a problem with him in the in the Poirier matchup specifically because they're both southpaws. Uh, he, but anytime he fights someone orthodox, in a, a little bit, I suppose... When he fought Diaz, he used the leg kicks more to set up his punches. But anytime he fights someone orthodox, he stabs them in the gut with that kick. And he draws them out. That's what—that's really what he wants to do. He wants to induce a bad motion out of you and then counter it. He's an aggressive counter-striker. Poirier doesn't really play that game right now. Poirier's defense, he's got, uh, again, I'm going to quote Jack Slack, he's got kind of the, the slightly modified uh, shoulder roll that we kind of call the hillbilly shoulder roll now. I mean, his defensive posture and blocking threw off Max Holloway. Max Holloway's a much better striker than Connor, if we're talking about technique. That uh, shouldn't be a controversial statement. So it's, it's hard to hit Poirier clean. A lot of the times he got hit clean, they were both striking at the same time. And I think that threw off Connor just a little bit. Um, it's not that Connor's afraid of getting hit, but he doesn't do his best work in a firefight. 
he does his best work when he's dictating things. And Poirier's defensive posture at this particular point in time is just a bit of a problem for him stylistically, I think. Uh, the leg kicks, uh, this was a big story in the first one. Connor tried to get his jab going, and every time he did, Poirier would kick him in the calf, and it really badly hampered Connor's movements. Uh, I, I don't think we'll see a direct repeat of that. It's very rare that you get a straight one-to-one recreation of something like that. Uh, I think Poirier is accurate. He said, if nothing else, I expect Connor to be throwing a lot of them to try and get me back. So he's working on ca- how, on how to counter them. Uh, it's. I just don't think this is a matchup right now that favors Connor. Poirier's defense is very good, and he's. And this is the big thing. Connor wants you to come forward. He wants to pressure you, and then again force a bad motion. And Poirier's either going to be the one coming forward methodically. Or he's going to back up, rely on his defense, and then either land you know, land a few decent shots along the way and then move. Or try to induce a real pocket brawl. And that, look, the, the wilder this gets, the worse it is for Connor. That's u- almost universally true. He doesn't do well when things break down. And Poirier, Poirier does, man. I looked back at some of Dustin Poirier's fights, man. You, you, the Max Holloway fight. Both his fights with Eddie Alvarez, the Gagey fight, you know, the Khabib fight, uh, the Hooker fight. There is not Dustin Poirier is the kind of guy who that man walks into hell. There is no dark, hot corner of hell that that man will is afraid to walk into. He's just not. And Connor's not the kind of guy that gives you a war most of the time. I mean, rarely, rarely he he will. But the other thing is time, man. Connor doesn't do well down the stretch. Yeah, I, I hate to say that as some, like, b- empirical... It, it's not that there's not exceptions. I mean, I give full credit to Connor for the second fight with Nate Diaz. The fourth round of that fight, he took a bad round of the third round. Right? The third round was all Diaz. Knows he needs a round, and Connor, to his eternal credit... Comes back from a very bad round, guts through, wins the fourth, and then loses the fifth, but at that point it doesn't matter. He doesn't lose it 10-8 on enough scorecards for it to wind up being a draw. And he deserves a ton of credit for that. But, you know, Poirier, he, he does fade a little bit down the stretch normal, uh, historically, and that's not a problem Dustin Poirier has. Dustin Poirier went five hard rounds with Max Holloway. You know how few people can say that? Even even the guy that beat Holloway twice over the five-round distance in Volkanovski, those were technical, tactical fights. They were not wars. Poirier went to war with Max Holloway and won. Poirier went to war with a different version of Justin Gagey than the current version. But even that version of Gagey, man, that... Again, Gagey would drag you into the deep, dark pits of hell in a fight. And Poirier went there with him willingly. I would genuinely love to see a rematch between those two with how Gagey has refined and changed his style. I don't know how a rematch between those two would go. I'd be fascinated to see it. Uh, So hopefully, hopefully we will get that because their first fight was one of the best fights of 2018, if not the best. Uh, And seeing this version of Gagey, the slightly more patient, a little more selective instead of just the all action, all the time brawler. 
be a heck of a fight. Heck of a fight. Um, let's see. So, I'm going to lean Poirier. Uh, again, if Connor. Connor doesn't have to win in exactly the first round, but if Connor hasn't set himself up for success in the first round to pay off in the second, I don't think he's ever won those fights. I don't think he's ever won a fight where he hasn't won the first round of the fight. Doesn't mean he has to finish you in it. But if he can't set himself up in that first round for something spectacular in the second, uh, that's a real, again, that's a real problem for him. And again, he, he's got decision wins, certainly, but I still think that pattern holds. You know, the uh, the only couple of decisions that he's had recently, I should say recently, but Holloway, I, I haven't watched that fight in so long, I might be misremembering. Pretty sure he won the first. Um, when he fought, again, the Nate Diaz fight that went the distance, he won the first and second pretty clearly. Um, what else? What else went the distance with him? Uh, Max, yeah, that's it. Good grief. Yeah, and the majority of his... Uh, the only other fight that went late was the Khabib fight, where Khabib won the first. That first round was so critical for that fight. The, I've rewatched that fight a few different times, and the more I look at that fight... That first round, just stalling Connor, just stalling him out. Make him work, make him wrestle, make him uncomfortable. Nobody's doing anything crazy. Khabib, you know, wins the second 10-8, but then when Khabib takes the third off, Connor's got nothing left. I mean, Connor wins the third, but he's got no pop. And everything he does is pushing. He's not, you know, he's not crisp. And that drops off for him fairly quickly. If he can't establish himself in the first... By the time the second rolls around, he he doesn't really have the comeback at that point. So I I'd have to double check how I scored their fight at 257. I think I gave it to Poirier, but it was a I recall it being a competitive fight, uh, a competitive round. Again, I the last time I watched this fight, I wasn't scoring it. Um, anytime I watch this for like specific tape study, I'm not scoring a fight. Uh, I'm watching one guy, what they're doing, or both guys. And if you want, if you want to do like real tape study, you're gonna watch the fight at least three to four different times. One time watching one guy, one time watching another guy, one time watching the space between them, one time watching just their feet. You know that that kind of stuff. Uh, so I I have I don't recall how I scored it live, but the first round was certainly competitive. I think Poirier edged it again, going off my recollection. Uh, so, if Connor can't set himself up for success early, he's just, he's just not going to win this fight. But, I'm not going to be shocked if he does. Uh, I'm, I'm favoring Poirier, and I feel very confident favoring Poirier. But I, again, I'm just... I'm not going to be shocked if Connor's able to find a clean punch. I'm just not. Uh, you know, deserves to be noted, this is a fairly important crossroad for Connor. If Connor loses, that's the first losing streak of his entire career. I'm going to assume if Poirier wins, there's a finish. Now, that might be unfair, but given how they match up physically and tactically, I have a really hard time seeing Connor lasting five rounds against, especially if he starts slowing, 
against the punishment that Poirier can put on you. Because Poirier, that man can thump, as the saying goes. So I'm imagining there's a finish involved either way. Could be wrong, but I imagine. If Connor loses back-to-back -back like this, his, his stock's going to take a pretty serious hit. Especially as it relates to ever being in the title picture. I, sh I shouldn't say ever, ever, but he drops two of these. Uh, he's got a he's gonna have a hard road to ha to climb to get back. He's gonna have a hard road. Uh, conversely, if he wins, if he beats Dustin Poirier, you know it's not unreasonable to assume that the winner of this fight gets the first crack at Charles Oliveira. Now, there's a little bit of timing issues that might play into that. There's there's still other players. You might have injuries. You might have any number of things. MMA is being crazy. But if Connor wins, you think they're not going to try to get a belt back around that guy's waist? Which I just mean here. Have a title shot. You just beat... You know, look, my opinion, Poirier is the best lightweight in the world. Doesn't mean he can't lose. The best lose all the time. Again, in whatever thing. I went over this before. Uh, you know, the best football teams, be that soccer or American football. Look at who the best team is every year. There's always a loss on there somewhere. Being the best doesn't mean you can't lose. It's what makes, you know, the people who are able to sustain success for so long so impressive. Uh, but, so if Connor beats, again, in my estimation, the best lightweight in the world, who's really ahead of him for a title shot? And I'm not saying that to be, you know, facetious. I mean, let's think about this. Your other kind of contenders at the moment, Chandler just got beat by Oliveira for the vacant belt. So Chandler probably needs another win. You've got Justin Gagey, who's been out for a fair bit at this point, but Gagey's certainly always a player, and I think Poirier's the number one contender rated right now. I mean, again, if Connor beats Poirier, if he finishes him, which is, I think, the only way he can win... Yeah, they'll try it, and there'd be... Uh, again, who's really going to object to this? So I I keep I use again a lot as a, a, one of my crutch words, and I need to stop. But if Connor beats Dustin Poirier and finishes him, there's a perfectly valid meritocratic argument for him getting the next title shot, in addition to, you know, his box office attraction. There's... He would, in a very real way, have earned it. Uh, so I imagine whoever wins here fights for the belt next, and I imagine it's Poirier. That's where I, that's where my pick lies. But this is a very important fight for Connor. If he loses, I don't know what he does next. That might signify an end of him as a title player. Might. There's he's such a assuming his his uh, star power doesn't take a serious hit. He's such a big attraction that you can never remove him completely from the equation. But it would be a big blow, be a real big blow to any hope he ever had about getting back into the title picture. All right, the rest of this card. I'm Some of this I'm going to go quicker through quicker. Some of it give a little more time to. But this is a, we better hope nothing happens to Poirier or Connor. It's not that the rest of this card is bad, because it isn't. But you, there's not really a whole lot else here that's real pay-per-view worthy. Minor exception for the co-main event here at welterweight Gilbert Burns and Stephen Thompson. Um, 
we are probably getting a title contender out of this. Not, I don't think next. That might change. If Stephen Thompson wins, they might give him the next shot, depending on how Kamaru Usman wants to negotiate. Um, Usman, of course, uh, the champion. The UFC's pushing for another fight with him and Colby Covington, which uh, I understand why. I... I, Kamaru has been fairly public about not being interested in that fight. If Thompson wins, especially if he does so with a degree of impressiveness, if he's impressive, they might be able... Kamaru would at least probably lobby uh, for a Thompson fight instead of an Usman fight, or instead of a Covington fight, and then Covington is another interim fight. Uh, I think it's kind of inevitable that Kamaru and Colby are going to fight at least one more time. Uh, those two are just too good. They are both too good to not fight a second time, assuming no catastrophic injury to either party or something else that results in them leaving the promotion. They're they're too good. You can't keep them apart for that long. (laughs) Uh, Thompson on a two-fight winning streak. uh, Wins over Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal. Uh, Got fight of the night for the Luque fight, a performance of the night bonus for Jeff Neal. He looked good in both fights. Before that, he was knocked out by Anthony Pettis. Bit of a, I hate to say true on fluke because that's like not replicable, but a very unlikely outcome. Stephen Thompson kind of beat the crap out of Pettis before that punch landed. And then before that, he had the loss to uh, Darren Till that I thought he won. Jeez, when you really look at that. So Pettis knocked him out clean, but uh, again, a fight Pettis was losing handily. Had the draw with Woodley the first time. The majority decision lost the second time. I actually scored their second fight for him. I thought he won, I think, the first three rounds, or one, two, and four. I can't remember the configuration. I mean, their second fight is a fairly dismal fight to watch. It's not interesting. Unless you're a real nerd about this kind of thing. And I am, so I've found little bits of interesting stuff. But even I was like, God, not a good fight. Uh, But that man's only losses... Again, he has the earlier loss to Matt Brown. But the Till fight that I thought he won, and then the Pettis fight that he was winning before the Superman punch knocked him out. Like, Stephen Thompson is a hard guy to beat, man. He's a real hard guy to beat. Uh, so, on the back of the two-fight winning streak, if he beats, uh, if he beats Gilbert Burns, especially if he does so, again, impressively, might might be the next guy. Burns coming off of that loss to Usman. There's a little bit that he can still hang his hat on to kind of argue for another title shot. He he wobbled Usman in that first round, man. I don't think there's any two ways around that. Uh, he won the first round. Uh, and he, he kind of staggered Usman. Uh, Usman, to his eternal credit, recovered, jabbed Burns up, nearly finished him in the second, then did finish him 30 seconds or so into the third. But Burns had a long winning streak going before that. This is a good fight. It's a really good fight. They're going to be at the T-Mobile Arena. This this deserves to be noted about the entire card. They're going to be in the bigger cage again, the 30-footer instead of the 25-footer. That plays to Thompson's benefit. Burns certainly has power, and if Thompson gets a little bit slack, he might... I'm going to pick Thompson. I'm going to lean towards him. 
I don't have a I don't have a strong inclination one way or the other about this one. Uh, they match up very, very interestingly in this respect. Burns is kind of a tank at this point. He's a come-ahead guy, strong kicks, strong punches. If he's smart about kicking the legs, he can give Thompson problems. But he's also going to wind up chasing Thompson around a lot, and that can be very dangerous. I don't know that Burns will have a lot of success taking Thompson down. He might. Thompson's takedown defense is quite good. Uh, I mean, if we're talking pure jiu-jitsu, Burns, light years better than Thompson. I don't say that to disparage Thompson at all. He's not at all a novice on the ground. But Burns is just top, top shelf jiu-jitsu. And has been for a really long time. Gilbert Burns one of the few guys who will go for arm bars from the back. Not being on his back, but being on his opponent's back. It's an underutilized attack in MMA, now submission-wise. I'm going to lean towards Thompson, but that's a really good fight. That is a really good fight. The rest of this card, not so much. Uh, we have a heavyweight fight between Tai Tuivasa and Greg Hardy, and who could possibly care about this? I'm going to pick Tuivasa, but that's because I don't pick Greg Hardy to win fights. Well, I shouldn't say that. I do on occasion. I'm not taking a moral stance against the guy. I know a lot of you people just hate the man, and I'm not here to talk you out of that. Okay, I'm to be abundantly clear, I'm not. I don't pick Greg Hardy to win fights against people who have had real success in the UFC. If you look at Hardy's wins in the UFC, he lost his debut when he threw an illegal knee, won against a couple of guys who were no longer with the promotion, beat Ben Sassoli, but then had that overturned because he was kind of stupid, uh, loses to Volkov, Volkov being just a much better fighter, Beats Jorgen DeCastro and Maurice Green. Green might still be with the UFC. I don't think DeCastro is. So again, uh, Alan Crowder, I don't think he's with the UFC anymore. Smolia, uh, Dmitry Smolyakov is not. Juan Adams is not. Ben Sassoli, I don't think is. Volkov obviously still is. Jorgen, I think, is not anymore. I don't know if I can double check that or not. Yeah, he got cut uh, earlier this year. On the back of a 3 fight losing streak. I mean, DeCastro should not have been in the UFC when he was brought in. That was, It was deeply unfair to expose him to that level of opposition after three or four fights. And then Green. And I think I think Green is still with the UFC. Nope, nope. Green was cut uh, back in May. So, the only people in the UFC that Greg Hardy has beaten are people not with the UFC anymore. And his losses are to Alexander Volkov and the Crowder. Eh, it was a DQ. I don't really want to count it in that respect. And then Tabora, who stopped him. Tai Tuivasa, for all of his myriad faults and flaws as a professional fighter, has had success in the UFC against UFC caliber, against UFC caliber opposition. He's beaten Andrei Arlovsky. He's beaten Stefan Struve. Uh, he he gave JDS a really good fight when they fought. Uh, didn't give Sergei Spivak a whole lot of trouble, but he Spivak just took him down fairly easily. So point being, Tuivasa has succeeded at a high level in the UFC. Greg Hardy has not. Because we're talking about heavyweight, I'm not going to be surprised if Greg Hardy wins this fight. 
I, but I'm going to pick Tai Tuivasa and feel very confident doing so. Uh, women's bantamweight fight, Irine Aldana and Yana Kunitskaya. Uh, Aldana, man. They they took a big gamble on her. After she knocked out Ketlin Vieja, just maybe brutally knocked her out. They gave her a main event against Holly Holman. She just didn't have anything for Holly. And now, all of a sudden, she's back to kind of being just an also-ran. Uh, Yana, by contrast... On a two-fight winning streak. Wins over uh, Julia Stoliarenko and Ketlin Vieja. I'm going to I'm gonna pick Aldana. I think Aldana's upside is still a little bit better. I think, I think Kunitskaya is going to wind up doing a lot of her usual clinch stuff. And Aldana's actually quite good at... I shouldn't say quite good. She's very competent in the clinch. But I, I don't expect a lot of action here. I'm, I'm going to pick Aldana. Uh, yeah. Bantamweight fight. Sean O'Malley was supposed to fight Louis Smolka, and then <laughs> Smolka fell out, and everybody under the sun said they'd fight this guy on short notice. Uh, Marab Dwellish really was one of them. Um, they Ricky Simone threw his hat in the ring, but Simone couldn't make bantamweight on the schedule and offered 145, but they wanted to keep Sean O'Malley at 135, and Dwellish really said he'd do it. There's Several other people who I'm I'm sure, I, I forget all the names, said, sure, I'll take that shot. And instead, <laughs> we get promotional newcomer, Chris Mutino. Um, <laughs> look, I'm not a big, I'm not accusing Sean O'Malley of being a total hype job. I don't think that's true. But boy, was that some transparent matchmaking by the UFC now, huh? Like, oh, your original opponent fell out. Well, we won't have you fight a ranked guy. We won't have you fight it. We won't have you fight out of bantamweight. We won't have you fight. Uh, just here, take, take the pig hostage. <laughs> oh god, it's hilarious. It's just hilarious to me. O'Malley should win this handily. I mean, I'm certainly not a big... I, I'm not nearly, you know, as much on the O'Malley hype train as others, but this should be an easy... should be a fairly easy fight for him. Uh, that's your main card. Again, you, you're kind of top-heavy. If something happens to Poirier or McGregor, that's it. The card's in trouble. You could main event with Burns and Thompson. Uh, it's just... That's not drawing a whole lot of money. Uh, I, I don't say that to be unkind to either gentleman, but that's just the reality of it. So, as for the prelims, Carlos Condit will fight Max Griffin. I feel okay picking Condit here. That could be some good fun. I mean, Condit, uh, he's not what he used to be, but he'll still go to war. Uh, another welterweight fight. Nico Price and Michelle Perejas. Hook that crate. <laughs> that is like the physical manifestation of insanity. Is those two. Who do I pick? I should pick Price. Despite being crazy, he's a little bit more fundamental of the two. Yeah, I'm going to pick Price. Uh, Ryan Hall is finally back in action. He's fighting Ili um, Ilya Teporia. Teporia had a, has had a... He's 2-0 in the UFC. And had a really good couple of fights. He impressed me in his most recent one, actually. I'm still going to pick Hall... I think he's just so awkward, a guy to fight, that it's really, really hard to beat him. 
but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna pick Hall. Uh, middleweight fight. We have Dreykus Duplessis and Trevin Giles. I feel okay picking Duplessis here. Giles is a he's not an easy guy to beat, but I'm mistaking him for somebody else. I might be. Hang on. Um. Okay, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Okay. I am confusing him. I'm not confusing him for the person I thought I was confusing him for, it, it, which doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm okay picking Duplessis there. Uh, let's see. And the early prelims, Jennifer Maya will fight Jessica I. God help us all. Maya, but... Ugh. Uh, middleweight, Omari Akhmedov and Brad Tavares. <sighs> Both those guys seem like they're on the downswing, don't they? Um, I'll pick Akhmedov, but this might be do or die for Tavares. I mean, he's been around for a while. I think Brad Tavares has been in the UFC. Yeah, he debuted for the UFC in 2010. Uh, when specifically? Uh, June. So he's got over 11 years in the UFC at this point. And significantly more wins than losses, so good on him. Um, he's coming off a win, too. Why is he all the way down here? Huh. Odd choice. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'll pick Akhmedov. Uh, let's see. Flyweight, uh, Zhalgas Zhumagulov and Jerome Rivera. I kind of dug Zhumagulov in his UFC debut. Let me make sure he's... Make sure I'm not confusing my Russian flyweights. Uh, he he might not even be Russian, but if not Russian, certainly you know from that same part of the world. Uh, he's if my computer will wake up. Uh, I yeah, I'm just gonna double check who he is. Okay, minor correction. He is from Kazakhstan. Uh, so, not Russian, but again, same part of the world, more or less. Uh, and I am confusing him with somebody else. Yeah, he's 0-2 in the UFC. Who am I confusing him with? I don't know. Yeah, he lost to Howley and Paiva, and then he lost to Amir Albazi. It's more going to bug me that I can't remember who I'm confusing him for than that I was wrong about his start in the UFC. So, uh, my bad. That actually is going to change my pick. He's not who I thought he was, so uh, I'm going to picture him, Rivera, but... Uh, I seem to recall at least being entertained by those fights, so it should be good fun. And kicking everything off, Alan Amadovsky and uh, Hu Xiaozong. Sorry, Hu Xiaozong? Uh, I'm going with Yao Zhong until I hear otherwise. I'm okay picking Amadovsky here, but uh, I seem to recall who had a decent performance in his UFC debut. So, Anyway, that's UFC 264. I will be covering that Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So please do stop by, say hello. It is always appreciated. All right, let us move on to some of the other news of the last week. So... I think the biggest piece of news, uh, the UFC announced that for their upcoming fight card in Houston, Texas, there will be a, an interim heavyweight title fight between Serial Gone and Derek Lewis. And, God. So, 
Francis Ngannou's a little bit annoyed by this. Understandably so. I think his tweet was, yeah, I remember my interim title fight against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Oh, wait. Which is correct. That fight, we all said it. I said it. Could have been for an interim title. While Cormier and Stipe finished up what they were doing. They were waiting on an injury recovery, I seem to recall. But no. Just no. Uh, <laughs> um, there was a pretty big back and forth between Dana White and Francis Ngannou's management team over this. Uh, Dana White said, you guys shouldn't have been shocked. We already told you we were doing this. May or may not be true. But I think one of the bigger things... Look, the end result of this is the UFC had wanted to have a title fight headlining this pay-per-view. They already wanted to get Derek Lewis in Houston. The timing was wrong for Francis Ngannou. So they threw in an interim title and threw Cyril Ghosn at him. You know, the UFC... How do I say this? The UFC is largely correct, and the MMA fan base is largely correct, when they talk about how the proliferation of titles in boxing has diluted their value. And this being a major problem and a barrier to entry for boxing, because you have to keep track of who is the WBO champion, who's the IBF champion, who's the IBC champion, who's the WBA champion, who's the WBA regular champion, who's the super champion, who's the franchise champion, who's the national champion, in all the different weight classes, and all the different sanctioning bodies, and it, it is a profoundly annoying thing to try and keep track of. It really is. So, I, I get that. And the UFC has resisted the addition of weight classes to their detriment, in my opinion, at this point. I have not heard a convincing argument for avoiding, uh, for not bumping, wel bump welterweight to 175, institute 165. Then you get a super lightweight division, which I imagine what they'd call it, and your welterweight moves up to, you know, moves up five pounds. Uh, you're then, you've then got a nice 10 pound increment all the way up to middleweight at 185, and then a 20-pound jump. And realistically, I don't think we need uh, 195 cruiserweight. I don't think that's necessary. I might be wrong about that, but I don't think it is. The only reason that... I, there's no reason for them not to. They're worried about having enough title. They want titles in rotation. Your rosters between middleweight... Excuse me, between welterweight and lightweight are deep enough to support the division between them. They really are. But they don't do it for whatever reason. Whatever internal reason they've decided not to do it. At the same time, they'll throw interim belts around at the drop of a hat. It seems. They're just telling you how little these things matter. That's really what they're doing. They're the ones showing their hand here. Not just interim titles that mean very little. Interim titles only, here's the only thing they mean. They mean the holder of that belt gets pay-per-view points for their title shot. That's all it means. It's not even... A, you'd like to think of it as a glorified number one contender status. It's not even that sometimes. Uh, I mean, think about Tony Ferguson. Was the interim champion, was going to fight Khabib for the vacant belt, and got injured and the UFC just stripped him of his belt for no reason other than because they could. Right? He got injured? Okay. 
He's only he's the interim champion. It doesn't actually mean anything anyway. Yeah, but if they'd left him as interim champion, he would have been the one who could have made a very real claim to having the next title shot, and they wanted to do Connor versus Khabib, and you see how little this stuff matters? The UFC title doesn't mean a whole lot, believe it or not. I mean, um, the uh, one of the last lawsuits that the UFC had, might even be one, the one that's currently ongoing, Joe Silva, under oath in a deposition, I seem to recall, was like, yeah, they don't actually signify who's the best in the world. They signify who's the best on a given night. And th- <laughs> which is something we all kind of know, but I don't think, like I said, the I think the best lightweight's Dustin Poirier. He's not the champion of that division right now, not the UFC champion at any rate. But they, there was something else that Ariel Helwani said on Twitter that, I think should tell you again just how how meaningless these belts are in in some respect. I, I want to be very careful I say this. Someone mentioned after they you know they threw the interim belt at heavyweight at a uh, Fran- at not Francis at Cyril and Lewis. Someone said yeah they never would have pulled this crap with Stipe and Hawani's response was I can think of at least five different times I know they threatened to strip Stipe of the heavyweight title. They never went through with it, obviously, but the threat was made. Kind of factor in as well. Do you remember one of the things Demetrius Johnson said when he was when he kind of aired some of his grievances with the promotion that they threat if he didn't do what they said they threatened to strip him of his title and then just blow up the flyweight division, and his response was fine, blow it up because Demetrius Johnson is awesome. But if the if the UFC as a negotiation tactic is perpetually threatening to strip a champion of their title, what does that tell you about how little that belt means? I mean, one, it's a stupid, it, it's a uh, it's a kind of weak negotiation tactic. I don't, you can probably, how many times has a has a UFC champion been stripped of a belt? It's not a whole lot. I mean. Connor's been stripped of two of them for inactivity. Um, John was stripped of one. Uh, Cormier relinquished the light heavyweight title. He was about to be stripped of it because you can't be a dual champion in the UFC in that respect. Um, Frank Mir back in the day due to injury after his, his motorcycle accident when he was out of action for just years and years. Um, who else? George, George relinquished it. So I don't know when he went on his hiatus. I don't know how much. So I don't know if you want to credit him or the UFC for that one. But they threaten this all the time, apparently, which wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, look, I've said this about Helwani. You don't have to be a fan of his personality or whatnot. Uh, I'm. The man's reporting is very solid. So if he says this is, if he says these are the reports that he has, I I don't have any reason to not believe him about that, right? So it, it's a threat they make constantly, which tells you how little they care about it. It it's not it's not a threat they go through with all that often, but it, it just kind of goes to show you how little that stuff, how little it matters.
the value of the belt is that it give it guarantees you more money, assuming you're on pay-per-view and assuming you can sell pay-per-views with your name. That's really it. Uh, which, considering all of the all of the crap, all of the purple pros and honorifics and all the flowery language that the UFC likes to throw around about their champions, really, their behavior should tell you everything you need to know about it. At the end of the day, 100%. Um, look, again, I, they're feeding the machine. They're feeding the machine with this. I understand it. They have obligations to ESPN. And since ESPN pays them like $700 million a year, uh, something like that. I forget, I forget the exact number. I really need to look that up. But since ESPN pays them this stupid amount of money, with a few conditions, they have to hit a certain number of events. I believe it was uh, 42 was the number thrown around. So they need 42 events for ESPN and its properties per year. And there's probably a caveat about title fights. There might be a caveat about title fights for ESPN for the, for the ESPN Plus pay-per-view setup. It's uh, <laughs> they are feeding the machine. Which really just should, they really should be jumping all over the opportunity to make another weight class. To make one, you make 165, you've got a brand new champion in rotation. I don't, I don't know. I, I could try to sell them on that, but no one cares what I think. No one's listening to me about that. Uh, so, I like Cyril's chances to win that fight. Be perfectly honest with you. I think he matches up with Lewis very, very well in that respect. It will be hilarious to watch that crowd boo him winning a decision. Uh, because that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, they're, they're, God bless him. They're trying with Derek Lewis, though, aren't they? Get him in a title fight in his hometown. They desperately want him to be just a little bit better a fighter than he is. Anyway, that will main event, uh, whatever their event in Houston is in... When is that? August, I think. Yeah, August 7th. So that's coming up fairly quickly, actually. Uh, 265. So, we can look forward to that. Do we have anything else announced for that card? Yeah, um, another title fight on that card. Women's Bantamweight title fight between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. There's a... There's a reason they tried to put something that would sell on top of that. I mean, there's 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 a bit of interest around Amanda just in that she is so dominant a force that you can't really ever discount her. You know, there's always there's always going to be a little bit of interest uh, just based on the level of dominance she displays. You know, uh, the Mike Tyson kind of syndrome, but. That wasn't going to sell well, so they're hoping that the addition of Lewis and God will boost sales. That card, what else on that? That's not going to be a bad pay-per-view card now that I look at it. You've also got Vicente Luque and Michael Chiesa in a very relevant welterweight fight. At bantamweight, Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz will be a banger. That'll be a banger of a fight between those two, not to repeat myself, but that might be a pretty solid pay-per-view card. When it's all said and done, so 
be on the lookout for that, and the continued souring of grapes between Francis and Ganu and the UFC. It went through all that effort to build him up, man. All that effort. He struggles against Stipe in his first fight, too much too soon, potentially. The UFC throws him under the bus. He rebounds, finally becomes champion, and the first thing they do is cut the legs out from under his title right like this. Oh, God, it's... Just the business of MMA, I guess. Alright, uh, last thing I want to touch on briefly, then we will check for breaking news and get out of here. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, former UFC lightweight champion, had an interview, and a couple of things came out of this one. Uh, one, he has the same basic analysis that everyone does about Poirier and McGregor. If it... Uh, in the first, he favors McGregor. By the time we get halfway through the second, Poirier. Khabib... Uh, the language barrier is a bit of a problem with this, but Khabib's had some fairly keen insight uh, into the fight game on occasion. Uh, on the occasion, you can find either the right translation or he's been willing to speak with candor. I mean, he was one of the guys uh, that very... Pu look, a lot of us kind of speculated about this, but he very publicly said in the wake of Tony Ferguson's beating at the hands of Justin Gagey that he's never going to be the same. Now... On the one hand, that's self-evident. You cannot take that kind of physical abuse, especially over, you know, 23 minutes or whatever it was, and be the same on the other side of it. No one can. You just, you just can't do that. There's too much introduction of new variables to the equation for it to still have the same uh, solution, right? But he very, he didn't just say, you know, uh, that, you know, that's a, that's a significant beating. He said. That's going to alter the course of this man's career, and lo and behold, it kind of did. He, he's had some very interesting assessments in that particular respect. One of the things that kind of he mentioned, uh, one, he's got a little bit of the competitive itch still, but he had a very interesting, um, he likened being a UFC champion, and not, this is going to sound, this has been tweaked in headlines to be more sensational than it was. But he likened being a, a UFC champion to being in prison. And not that the UFC was like a prison. But that what you had to do day in and day out to achieve that level of success was basically a prison. And he's he's not wrong. Which is just to say the following. In prison, you do the same thing. Day after day after day after day after day. And, I mean, this is this has been mentioned uh, by people who have studied this and uh, people who have written about it. I mean, the best fictional examples. Uh, one, do one from Oz, uh, the HBO show. The narrator at one point goes on a little bit about the routine. You know, the at X hour the doors open. At X hour you do this. At X hour you do this. At X hour you do this. And then at X hour, it's lights out. And the line uh, the line from the character is, you know, I'll deal with the violence. I'll deal with the, uh, I'll deal with death. I'll deal with every, I'll deal with all this. But God save me from the routine. And there's a similar sentiment expressed in, in Shawsh uh, the Shawshank Redemption, both the movie and the book. 
that you become so dependent and broken down by the routine that you, you uh, they call him that an institution man. You can't actually survive on the outside. You're, you're too in the space. You've done the same thing over and over and over and over again, day after day after day after day, for so long that there's nothing else. Now, in the case of Khabib, it was, he said it kind of as follows, like, what do you have to do to be a champion at the UFC level? You have to train every day. You have to regiment everything you do. You have to regiment what you eat, when you eat, when you sleep, what you train, what days you train, uh, what days you train, which attribute. It, the, the physical training in MMA might be among the most debilitating in the sporting world. The injury load in MMA is wildly higher than pretty much any other combat sport for certain. You might have to go all the way to something like, uh, it might even be worse than American football if we broke it down like fighter to player on an individual level. Uh, or if we aggregated it out. I have to double check the exact... Maybe not if you aggregate it out because there's so many more football players than UFC fighters. Is that even true? She has a roster about 500 and change. He's like 550, 500, 550, somewhere in there. It fluctuates. I'd have to double check this, like the number of people uh, playing for the NFL. But you, you've kind of got to get to like uh, you know, gymnastics almost, which has a fairly significant injury load. To find something similar to MMA, which makes sense. MMA is a very comprehensive endeavor. You have to train a lot of different things. And the more different, th the more you have to train in general, the higher the injury load. The more different things you have to train, the more variables you're introducing. You're just rolling the dice over. It's relatively easy, not a guarantee, but it's relatively easy to manage the injury load in boxing, for example. You see this from MMA fighters who start training boxing, a few of them. You know, Tyron Woodley, some of the others. Woodley recently said it. Boxing training is quote-unquote easier. When he's talking about, and I, I feel okay speaking for him in this respect, he doesn't mean that boxing is an easier sport. It's not. It's really not. But the, the injury load and the demands on the body are less training for boxing than they are training for MMA. The, uh, I've said this before about boxing. The margin for error in boxing is infinitesimal. Everything you do has to be right. That's not as true. That's not at all true in MMA. There are some champions, some highly sec, some very very decorated Hall of Famers, with piss poor technique who made mistakes constantly. But there's so much in MMA you don't that you can make up for deficiencies. That's not true in boxing. Everything in boxing is refined to a razor's edge, so everything you do has to be, has to conform to that. Everything. Because you're only doing a handful of things, everything has to be done right. Everything has to matter. You go into, MM, you go into an MMA fight, okay, your jab sucks. Well, you, can you still win with a terrible jab in MMA? Yes, yes you can. Plenty of people do. Can you win in MMA with poor takedown defense? Yeah. You can win in MMA without lights out takedown defense. 
Can you win in boxing without a really good jab? Uh-uh. Can you win in boxing without good footwork and ring awareness? It's hard. It's really hard. And can you win in MMA without good head movement? Yeah. I mentioned Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier got hit a lot with Connor because he didn't move his head. Neither did Connor. Can you win in boxing without moving your head? Not really. Not a, Even if you've got a rock chin, you better know how to move your head. So, but that's what Tyron's talking about. He doesn't have to do as much. And what he does is not quite as demanding physically as what he's used to in the wrestling room or the in the wrestling gym or an MMA gym. That's why you don't have the same injury load in boxing. You just don't. Uh, but so to succeed at that level, like Khabib's talking about, yeah, everything's regimented every day, every single day. God save me from the routine, man. Right. So I I don't think we'll see Khabib back. Uh, again, he's mentioning that he he's looking for something to help scratch the competitive itch. Uh, and I don't he will at some point find something to do that. I don't think it'll be coming back. Uh, he also released a statement on the one year anniversary of the passing of his father that seemed to kind of reinforce that, that he's. Whatever he does that will kind of help fulfill his life, I don't think it'll be fighting at this point. Uh which, again, I, it sucks because I loved watching the man fight, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Given everything you have to do, if you're... Another thing about MMA, man, been said a lot. You cannot be 60% into MMA if you're fighting. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. Uh, Joe Rogan's fond of saying it. If you're not 100% in... You're gonna, you will inevitably fight someone who is, and you're just gonna be on their highlight reel. So if that's all you're doing, you're better off not. Uh, so a few thoughts from Khabib there. All right, let's check plugs. Uh, plugs. Let's check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nope, nothing crazy. So plugs. Uh, last week, just the usual pro wrestling stuff. There was no UFC event on Saturday, so. Oh, I covered Impact. So, last Monday, AEW's Dark Elevation. Uh, Wednesday, MLW's Underground Re-Air. Thursday, Impact Wrestling. Uh, Friday, WWE SmackDown. This week, ML, uh, AEW on Monday. MLW Wednesday. SmackDown Friday. UFC on Saturday. Along the way, also on Monday, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for the Chris Pratt vehicle on Amazon Prime, The Tomorrow War. And on Tuesday, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for The Forever Purge, which released this last week. So you can be on the lookout for both of those. And do I have anything else on the podcast front? I don't think anything for me. No. Some re-airing of old stuff, but I don't, uh, I don't pimp that here for fairly obvious reasons. Yeah, so you can be on the lookout for that. My discussions of movies and television and other pop culture-related issues are on the W2M network, the Rydalchin Broadcasting Network subgroup of the W2M network. So if you could follow over there, I'd appreciate it. We're on all of your major podcast platforms over there as well. Thank you very much in advance. I deeply appreciate it.
Alright, that is it. I am done. We are done for the week. Next week, review of UFC 264 and a preview of UFC on ESPN 26. Which is... Man, this card is not going to draw any attention. But boy, are there some good fights on it. Now, your main event for that is a lightweight fight between Islam Makashev and Tiago Moises. That's a great fight. Misha Tate comes out of retirement. Jeremy Stevens will fight Mateus Gamrot. Daniel Rodriguez and Abubakar Nurmagomedov at welterweight could be... That'll be fireworks for as long as it lasts. What else is on there? Adolfo Vieja's back. Miles Johnson, Anderson Dos Santos could be good. Billy Quarantillo and Gabriel Benitez. Again, not 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 anything that's going to grab your attention unless you're me or those like me. But there's some solid fights there. So we'll have a full preview of that, plus a review, plus whatever comes out during the week of MMA news. You all know the program by now at this point. All right, that's it. Stay safe out there as always. And remember to continue to be well, be safe, and behave.